Hello and welcome to Megaton Marathon, episode 43. This is a game-by-game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. I am Paul M. Davis, and I'm joined by... I'm Alex Dorado-Wolf. And I'm Elisa James. And yeah, the whole crew is here. And in this episode, we are going to be finally closing out uh, Persona 3. It's taken us a while to get here. We had a number of technical issues, one after another. But we are here, and we're stoked to be uh, finishing off Persona 3. So, uh, yeah, to get started, basically what happened last time at the end of last episode was that Shinjiro passed away. And so we pick up with him having died the previous night. But, uh, you know, time marches ever forward and we still have to go to school. Surprisingly, in the 12 hours since he died, the school has not only learned of his death, but also had the time to put together a uh, memorial display and organize an assembly, which is really, really thoughtful of them. And uh, you get to this really nice moment where kind of Yupei loses his temper with some teens who are just kind of acting like shithead teens and not really caring that somebody died while the uh, principal delivers his uh, eulogy. You know, everybody on uh, in C's is in shock, of course, but Akihiko is definitely taking it harder than the rest. He even skipped school, the uh, perfect student that he is. And uh, yeah, we, we get to see him at the end of the day. He's visiting the memorial now that the auditorium is empty. And, uh, you know, he has this kind of like symbolic conversation with his departed friend and kind of works through some stuff. And it's a really, really great character moment. You see him not only coming to terms with the death of Shinjiro, but kind of like having a personal realization 
that his like obsession with like being strong is just founded in this belief that people die because we fail to be able to save them and that it's all on his shoulders to be able to save everybody. And even though they handle it a little vague, like basically the idea is kind of him learning to sort of emotionally engage with the challenges that he faces rather than just putting his energy into the abstraction of like being a strong figure that can, the please he can and must save everybody. And as a result, you get the first persona evolution of the game with Apollo Deuces transforming into Julius Caesar. Yep. So now's probably just a good time to go over everyone's persona transformations because they, they're they a mixed bag and <laughs> breaking every time <laughs> that one happens to talk about how this makes sense or doesn't make sense would kind of ruin the flow of the story. So I'm just going to run through them real quick here. So I split these into two groups. There's like, about half of them that fit into a theme that I think is pretty interesting. And then there are about half of them that don't make sense. So with Akihiko, we see his persona, Apollodeuces, turning into Julius Caesar. Now his personas probably are the ones that fall most clearly into the this makes sense camp. His initial persona, Apollodeuces, uh, mirrors Shinjiro's original persona of Castor, the two twins in Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux whose story ends when Castor dies and Pollux, you know, given the choice to ascend to godhood, it, it doesn't match exactly. But the point is they're two brothers. One of them dies. <laughs> and that, that fits really nicely. And then he turns into Julius Caesar, making the transition from a mythological figure into a historical one, which is kind of the cool idea that I wish we had seen carried through uh, the other characters because it really fits the game's theme of kind of taking a more archetypical and abstract approach to facing your problems versus a very human one. The idea that, you know, the persona is no longer a god, but instead a human being, I think is a very interesting and meaningful concept. And we see that also in Yunpei's character with Hermes transforming into Trismegistus or Trismegistus Hermes, who was not super well understood historical figure who's considered to be the father of hermetic magic and alchemy. So that's a very clean transition there because it's a related god into a related historical figure whose, you know, impact in human history is really kind of immeasurable as, you know, hermetic magic led to a lot of really interesting concepts in various hermetic I'm sorry, in various esoteric traditions um, and alchemy, which then gave way to science. And it, it all fits really nicely there. You also get that to some degree with Mitsuru. With Her personas are a little bit vaguer because you have a fairly minor, her initial persona, Pentheastia or whatever, is a fairly minor Amazon in Greek mythology, who then turns into Artemisia, who was an actual lady general during uh, the Persian invasion of Greece, uh, which you may remember in 300. Apparently she was the, the villain of 302, which I'm sure is a very accurate movie. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. There, I had no idea there was a three hundred two. I think it's directed. Me neither. I don't know. I, I don't care. But Mitsuru's persona is, is the bad guy. Of that so. <laughs> uh, you mean you mean they had to get a cut rate Zack Snyder to make a film? Uh, I assume they just slapped a on like a, a sci-fi channel kind of movie. 
Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Contrast up, saturation down, bam. <laughs> parts. There you go. <laughs> uh, so those are the ones that make sense on the side of persona changes that don't make sense. We have Yukari, whose persona Io turns into Isis. So it's a Greek figure who was one of Zeus's lovers, turned into a cow, turns into the main ancient Egyptian goddess for some reason. I don't know. And for uh, Ken, we have a Nemesis, who is, you know, goddess of revenge and divine justice, which makes sense because he's a very revenge-themed character, turning into Kala Nemi, who is a figure in Indian mythology. Several figures, actually. They tend to be killed by one of the gods. <laughs> that seems to be the linking thing. The game says something about how they're representative of accepting fate, although I couldn't find much that backs up the idea of it representing accepting fate outside of the game, but that that seems to be what they're going for. And then Koromaru does not change personas because he's a dog. And it, I mean, they could have done something, honestly. You know, he could have come to terms with like his master's death and that sort of thing. But no, I, I, I guess they couldn't find a way to make it work. I mean, there are some other mythological dogs he could have turned into, but I guess the point is he was good from the beginning and he was helping and he continued to do so because he's a good dog. True. Uh, I agree. Although I still think he should have gotten Fenry. That would have been an awesome upgrade for him. Yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been I mean, great. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I mean, considering how little effort is put into some of these people's persona transformations, you, you could yeah. have... Um, you could have you could have done something for him. Exactly. And like uh, Fenry would have I think Fenry would have worked because it's kinda like you know how Fenry kinda like devoured the the earth and it's like that kinda Well no, Fen not Fenry. Who it was Fenry's sons, right? Weren't they the ones that devoured the yeah. earth while Fenry was the one that faced off against the actual like top pantheon gods of Norse mythology? Yeah, I mean, so it's kinda Yeah that there's a there's a whole rundown of that. Yeah, I, so, I mean, I think maybe they thought it was too apocalyptic, as opposed to the true. guardian role of Cerberus. I don't know. Yeah, and, but I like the idea of like you know him having like a persona that's meant to like be able to face down and beat a god. Like I think that's really like poetic for kind of like what you get at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Nah, I, I feel like they probably just didn't know quite what to do with the dog. Which, right, right, of course. Which is why there hasn't been a, a non-talking dog in later Persona games, I assume. <laughs> such lovely characters as Teddy. Everyone loves Teddy. Oh my god. <laughs> and Morgana would have been like a billion times better as an actual cat, so I'm really mad about yeah, yeah. that. That's <laughs> this, I feel like this is a conversation that we've had multiple times, but I will, I will <laughs> gladly have it again. Like, why the fuck can't Morgana be a regular cat? <laughs> it would have been better. I, I, I just don't like mascot characters. It's... <laughs> I, I'm just going to say that broad. Like, like why, why, why are these... Like you're trying to tell a serious story, people, and let's have this teddy bear man. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This, 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 this horny, horny teddy bear man. Yeah. I, I, it's not not that I hate Teddy particularly. Like for what he is, he's an enjoyable thing. But why does he have to be that? I understand. 
Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would really like there to be kind of like a law against uh, horny mascot characters, like yes, the, the, the no, the nopon, and I can't even remember in Xenoblade Chronicles two, who's super super horny, like oh no, no, stop well, it. Anyway. I think but, they wanted to have a horny character, but they realized it would be problematic if it was a human character being that creepy. Right. But <laughs> would you? Would anyway. be, I mean, I guess this is better, but you could also just not have that character. That's, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is a choice you can make. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry you do a uh, sidetracky there, Alex. Yeah. Um, our good old tangent there. Let's see. If anyone else's persona? Oh, yeah. Fuka persona turns from lucia into juno that's another one that doesn't make any sense some you know i it, it they they do it because of the eye thing because juno has a peacock juno slash hera has a peacock thing going on which is related to hermes and kind of fits in there a little bit but why is it fuka like it it doesn't make sense but whatever she it's not like you see it very much but yeah that's everyone's personas changing they could have done a really cool thematically consistent thing here they went halfway and we get some of that and then just some nonsense. So moving on from that, back at the dorm, the group discusses what to do about Ken, the 12-year-old with a spear who planned to murder-suicide Shinjiro, but was unable to carry out his plan due to someone else murdering him first. Unfortunately, it seems that Ken has escaped his room by uh, jimmying, open, jimmying open the window. Akihiko finds him in an alley and encourages him to stop obsessing over his mother and Shinjiro's death and to decide to do what he wants. It's a little scene that's very similar to Akihiko's scene, but makes less sense because, I don't know, he's a 12-year-old who's obsessed with revenge and was going to, like, he needs counseling. He, like... Yeah. Akihiko's problem was that he's, you know, focused too much on being strong and not emotionally engaging with the conflicts. Ken's problem is he wanted to murder a guy and then kill himself. Yeah. Those are not <laughs> at age twelve. <laughs> yeah. Those are not comparable problems. And to treat Ken's problem as though it can be resolved with a quick talk with, you know, big brother Akihiko is a little ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, like, you know, I, I, I don't think Akihiko's uh, read the DSM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but apparently Ken is fine now and uh, he can join the team and use his, you know, Hama spells and spear. And everyone's cool with that because he says he's okay now. <laughs> so on the uh, next full moon for November 3rd, the, the final shadow is located on the bridge, but of course, shirtless Jesus, <laughs> Takaya, and his nerd friend Gina there. He says some nonsense about how it's wrong to want to stop the shadows because lots of people die in ways that don't involve the shadows at all. And it's just like, okay, we already know that your business is deals with the, the, the midnight hour. Like, just stop. Stop acting like you care about anything else. You just want to keep making money. <laughs> 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 you know, like, at least just be honest about his high feel. <laughs> so after that, after he's winning the battle, Takaya tries to shoot himself in the head, but Gene stops him. Then Gene grabs uh, Takaya and jumps backwards off the bridge. From context, it does seem like he expected the jump to be fatal, 
So it's kind of weird, like, why the scene happened if Gene stopped Takaya from killing himself in the first place. So the this month's big shadow boss is Hangman. So basically you have to take out, like, statues before you can hit the, uh, the main body. Uh, you know, pretty standard kind of like, oh, this is like a two-phase battle sort of thing. After defeating the Shadow, Junpei suggests that they have a sushi party the next night because obviously everything will be fine and the dark hour is gone. Yeah, so the next morning, our old buddy Pharos is there during the day. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is, I think, yeah, this is the first time that we've seen our old Death Kid show up during the daytime. He basically explains he now has his memory back and he has something mysterious to do. But, you know, also that, you know, basically his friendship with the protagonist needs to come to an end. And so that's when you basically reach level 10 of the Death Social Link. And it's left pretty ambiguous here, but we pretty much find out what the deal is later. That night, everyone sits down in the common room to eat sushi off of the coffee table. Yep. Except Igus, who was taken to the lab by Ikutsuki for uh, some perfectly normal tune-ups. Bef- before you know, there's really any time to think about that, Eyepatch Dad shows up to congratulate you and dissolve C's because you know clearly everything is fine now. Nothing else to worry about. Gang hangs out. You take a fun photograph to commemorate the end of the dark hour. And then, <laughs> surprise, surprise, the dark hour happens and a forebore- foreboding bell rings in the distance. Eyepatch Dad realizes that whatever's going on probably has to do with uh, Ikutsuki and Aegis' absence. And uh, Mitsuru says that the bell sound is coming from Tartarus. So it's time uh, for the team to head on over there. So outside the strange tower that has replaced the high school, Ikutsuki is there with Aegis. Everyone is confused about why he's there and what's going on. But Mitsuru, being a cool, smart person, has the whole thing figured out. That that thing about beating all 12 showers, fixing everything, that wasn't true. And he knew it all along. Ikutsuki explains that defeating these big boy shadows wasn't going to end the dark hour and make Tartarus go away. But instead, they were going to recombine into a bigger boy shadow of some kind. And that shadow is named Death. Don't worry, it's probably not as scary as it sounds, because death is just the 13th Arcana of the Tarot, and it really should be interpreted symbolically rather than literally. Oh, what's that you say, Akutsuki? Death the Almighty will arise and bring forth the fall. The end of all that will free the world from despair, the death of everything, but also the beginning. Ah, okay then. <laughs> Akutsuki that then goes great. on. great. Yep. No, it's, it's, it's really, yeah. Sign me up. (laughs) He really makes a very strong case here, you know, for what he's been doing. Like, once you hear his side of it, you'll see that really he had no choice. He then goes on to explain that he was actually involved with the original shadow experiments by Mitsuru's grandfather that started this whole mess. So you remember, if you remember back then, the reason for the experiments that we were given was that he was trying to make a machine which could see future events and then allow you to alter them. Well, that was a little bit misleading. So it's not actually a machine. The only part of the future it can control is the apocalypse, and it controls the apocalypse by making the apocalypse happen. So really, 
<laughs> instead of a machine that controls the future, he was trying to bring around the apocalypse. So, <laughs> slight stretching. Of the- that's pretty much that's pretty much the most useless machine ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, if you thought it was weird that this random experiment going wrong somehow created like an extra magic hour of the day and turned a high school into a weird tower. Turns out that the reason that happened was because that's what they were trying to do rather than just a freak occurrence. But the explosion wasn't supposed to happen and the shadows escaping also wasn't supposed to happen. Yukari has an interesting thought here as she remembers the video of her dying father where he begs whoever is listening to please go and destroy the shadows. Kutsky explains that he deviously edited the video so that instead of saying, don't destroy the shadows, it said, destroy the shadows. <laughs> because destroying them apparently causes them to like recombine somehow. It kind of makes sense. Uh, and I hope you're cool with that because that is the only explanation for that you're getting. So then I, Kutsky- I think we've I think we've reached the point of that you find in every Persona game where the plot gets a little it, it, it starts to fall fall apart a little bit it'll it'll come back together as they yeah. often do but yeah this this whole shadows <laughs> recombining into a big shadow part of the plot is pretty underdeveloped and they don't spend a lot of time on it i they, the writers clearly assumed we would just take this and like and they build some cool stuff on that but we are just supposed to accept this at face value that this is what happens yeah. Because, yeah, th- th- this is how they work. Oh, what are you going to say? Shadows don't work like that? Well, we invented shadows, so shut up, they do. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> which, you know, fair enough. They did. <laughs> so I guess they do work that way. So then Akutsuki goes on for a while about you know, why he was doing this, but his motivation can basically be summed up as, I'm crazy and want to save the world by destroying the world because that is what the prophecy says. This is both the first and last reference to the prophecy. Okay. So then when the crew gets mad enough at his nonsense that they're ready to attack him, he reveals that he's reprogrammed Igus to knock the team out so he can use them as ritual sacrifices, which she is able to do without even the pretense of an unwinnable battle. I mean, at least they don't waste your time. So I was kind of like, okay, thanks. <laughs> so so we, we cut to a very neat anime uh, cutscene where the party is strapped to really tall crucifixes somewhere in Tartarus. The proportions on everything are quite exaggerated and have a sort of expressionalist Dr. Uh, Kali Gari vibe. Yeah, that is actually true. Yeah, uh, that's very true. I, I did like visually how it looked. It kind of added like that sort of br- uh, bleakness to it, you know, that it was kind of like they were trapped and they had like no hope left. So I really like the kind of visuals they pulled for that. It's a cool scene. I, I like how that one looks a lot. It, it is. Yeah. They, they go a little more off model for the characters and stuff in a really kind of nice way that I found. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So Mitsu's eye patch dad has also been captured, and he tells Ikutsuki that Grandpa was wrong in killing children to bring about the apocalypse is a bad thing. <laughs> Ikutsuki orders Igus to shoot him, but Mitsuru tells her not to, so she doesn't because they're friends. Aww. <laughs> 
Ikutsuki doesn't like that, but then he and Eyepatch Dad shoot each other at the same time. Eyepatch Dad is out, but Ikutsuki is only wounded. He orders Igus to kill the team with her finger guns, but instead she shoots the restraints holding them up. He then decides to kill them himself, but the dog, who is not restrained, stops him. I think he would have. I think we can assume he was not restrained because it would be impossible to attach him to a cross in a way that didn't look ridiculous. <laughs> I just imagine. <laughs> I just imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, like that's not what shaped dogs are. So they really, you know, <laughs> really wrote themselves into a corner oh. there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then Ikuski jumps off the roof. A uh, lot of people jumping off stuff to their death this month. Yeah, actually, it is. That's yeah. <laughs> Mitsu is. <laughs> Mitsuru is pretty sad about her dying dad. She explains that her dad had said he was uh, willing to give his life to atone for his role in the uh, shadow experiment, but that she wanted him to live and had be become a persona person to protect him. See, she's cool because her dad was really powerful and also really noble and had an eye patch, but as a child, she wanted to protect him. See? <laughs> Back at the back she, at the she's, storm. She's she's like the. Uh, I'm not even going to make the comment. I was getting going. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that they, the, their whole family is like the anti-Trumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, <laughs> completely true. <laughs> back back at the dorm. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, actually, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, no. At first, I was like, "Oh, she's kind of like a good Ivanka," and then I was like, "Yeah, but her dad is an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> Back at the uh, the dorm, the team decides they should probably keep working their way towards the top of Tartarus. Meanwhile, Mitsuru is off being the president of a powerful company now. Yeah, so, she, so she's basically just like a princess, right? Her, her company owns the island where everybody lives, and then when her dad dies, she becomes the president of the company. Like royalty. All hail Queen Mitsuru. Indeed. Yeah, Pretty that's cool. true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also love that, you know, <clears throat> where I, I love that the Persona games, and, and I'm not, like, bagging on them, but I really do love that the Persona games are exists in a world where a high school student can be the president of a powerful company. You also see this in Persona 5. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also Persona I, 1, too, right? I think I so, yeah. It's been a long time. I don't remember president. Yeah. Whatever. There's still children involved in the, the workings of gigantic multi-million dollar corporations, which <laughs> is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would never happen. <laughs> so yeah, Fuka uncovers the original confession video of Yukari's dad, and she watches it. The full tape reveals that he caused a disaster on purpose and released the big bastards to prevent Grandpa Masuru's crazy plan. This causes her persona to transform into Isis. 
The next day, Yunpei is visiting Chidori, which was, if you've forgotten, is the gothic Lolita Strega girl that, man, I, I really wanted, I really wanted them, you know, to ship them. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe in Persona 6, you know, we, we can have, you know, actual, like, relationships between secondary characters. But uh, anyway. Whole new world. What's that? Yeah, it would be a whole new world. It'd be amazing. Uh, They're dating. Anyway. One of the characters that's dating isn't the main character. How crazy! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, must date all of them. <laughs> all of them at once. Anyway, uh, so yeah, he's visiting Chidori at the hospital. She's not too busy, uh, not too bothered about evil Jesus and the nerd dying, and uh, she stopped cutting herself, which is good. But she seems to be developing uh, painful feelings towards uh, Yunpei and um, asks him not to come back to her hospital room, which is also kind of a jail for her. Everyone's still processing the betrayal of uh, Ikutsuki, our lovable uh, dad joke pun factory, when when something literally a million times more surprising happens there's another new transfer student at school. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> we're, 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 I don't know, about seven eighths of the way through the game, and we've got a new transfer student. Imagine that. His name's uh, Ryoji, and he kind of looks like a slightly gothic, artsy guy. He's got a pale skin, tasteful suspenders, and a cheerful yellow scarf. He seems nice enough, but Igus takes the really pretty extreme attitude, at least at this time, that he's very dangerous and he should be feared and hated. She restates this opinion often, but can't explain why she feels so strongly. And uh, even the first time I played this, I was like, you know what? I, I I trust Igus, no matter what. You know, like <laughs> she, she, she's probably, she's probably right here. Uh, Ryoji seems, uh, pretty harmless, even though he's a bit go- girl crazy. Him and Junpei really kind of hit it off because of course Junpei likes how uh, girl crazy he is. If you're playing this and on uh, persona three portable, you can also play the girl route at, which meaning you can play with a female protagonist and uh, he's got a social link, which is pretty cool. So yeah, before long, it's time for the class trip to Kyoto, you know, and it's just more kind of like lighthearted, uh, teen hijinks and uh, does a pretty good job of capturing the experience of a class trip on the trip. Yukari corners Mitsuru and makes her talk about how she feels about her dad dying and uh, their shadow fighting. They bond over having dads who died trying to stop the shadows from destroying the world. This leads to her persona leveling up from... Okay. Alex, I'm going to need you to pronounce this for me. Oh, Penthesilea? Sure. This uh, leads to her <laughs> persona leveling... <laughs> this leads to her persona leveling up from Penthesilea... Into, into Artemisia. There's also a hot spring screen where, you know, your typical hot spring stuff happens. You know, there's your obligatory 
don't get caught looking at naked girls minigame. Luckily, unlike uh, Trails of Cold Steel 2, none of the characters who are trying to perv out on one another are siblings. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it, it. You, you you get the hot spring scene. I mean, it's it's what happens. And really, as far as they go, this one is better. Like most of the characters are like, wait, this is why you went to the hot springs now because you wanted to look at naked girls. I did not know this. I would not have come. And then <laughs> the other one. I mean, they you know try to you know pay a little lip service to the idea. That, like Akihiko wouldn't do this shit. Like, he uh, wouldn't. That, yeah, and that's then- true. <laughs> Yeah, I always and then feel it I always, like. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no. <laughs> I was just gonna say I always feel like uh, when I, you know, unless it's like really pervy, like in Cold Steel Two, or wrong rather, I always feel like, oh, okay, this is the bl- the obligatory like eighties t- teen comedy scene. <laughs> like, what right. are you gonna say, uh, Elisa? I was just going to say, and then what was kind of funny, too, is that Junpei at the, like, when he was kind of called out, he was just like, oh, yeah, no, I was I was kidding. Like, why would I even do that, you know? And then it turned out that they accidentally came in at the wrong time. So it was just a complete accident anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just trying to escape. <laughs> I do appreciate, like, generally in Persona games when they do these they usually kind of like make the dudes look like chumps. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as, as far as these weird hot springs voyeurism scenes go, this one is okay. <laughs> I guess. It's, like, <laughs> <do we> need- <laughs> that's, a back of, back, that's a back of the box quote right there. <laughs> no. like, I am not, I'm not offended by this. Did it need to be in the game? No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really not like you don't even get like sexy shots of the like the girls it's like you don't it, it's just walking around some water it's I guess it's it's to evoke the experience of being in high school and going on a class trip and spying on your classmates I I mean Japan I don't know well I know. yeah like I, mean, I was saying like yeah. like uh, I don't know if it's even Japan it's like also like 80s like yeah that's movie. true like i mean this would be i mean this was the plot of porkies if i yeah. <laughs> 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 also can i say like how adorable the protagonist looked in that like kimono like you got to run around as him like briefly like he looked so cute for some reason i was just like he was like a little kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was very wholesome <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> I, I i'm right i'm right there with you yeah exactly <laughs> meanwhile back at the hospital prison where chidori lives now she receives a surprise visitor the perpetually shirtless Takaya and his nerd friend, both of whom look very good for boys who were last seen jumping off a bridge. They tell her to come with them, <laughs> and she agrees. This time, Draga's plan is fairly straightforward. They're going to use Chidori to place a sort of magic persona-to-persona phone call so they can tell Seas to come to Tartarus so they can fight. The plan seems to be that she will fight them by herself while Takaya and his nerd watch from off-screen. Unsurprisingly, the girl who has spent the last three months in a hospital bed loses a three-on-one fight. 
with uh, a bunch of Persona users. And June why do they have to? Why do they have to treat my girl uh, Chidori like this? Well, they asked right? her to come and, and do this, so so she did. Um, yeah, I know. Because uh, she doesn't care about anything, so she just does whatever the person near her says. Yeah, I know. She's like, know, somewhat nihilist, and so and there's a little bit of like Stockholm syndrome going on there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know they're all on their crazy persona drugs, so who even knows, man? Like, yeah, you know, it's oh, true. These kids, these kids are crazy. Um, <laughs> they're out of control. Well, um, I know. I know. Better. We better let Fox News know. <laughs> yeah, are children taking persona drugs, according to a new video game from Japan. They may be. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Yunpei's pretty upset about this whole situation. And uh, Chidori explains that her connection with him made her afraid to die. And she was really upset about that because before she didn't care. And again, this is a reiteration of the theme about engaging with the world and making emotional connections, even though they may be scary. And it's easier just to kind of wall yourself off. So it all makes sense. It's good. But then Takaya, you know, saunters up and is like, oh, you know, well, the feelings are bad. It's gross that you have feelings. I hate you. And then he shoots you. But Chidori is able to use her healing magic to heal him. If you remember, she like made some dead flowers come back to life. However, mm-hmm. her healing magic caused her to die because like she gave her life force to him. It didn't work that way before, I don't think, with the flowers. There was no reference to her being weaker after healing them. But, you know, I guess resurrecting a guy from a gunshot wound is, is different. Sure, that's how the magic works. That's fine. And in this act of sacrifice, she states that she is entrusting Yunpei with her, with her life, a, a sentiment which she takes to heart. I believe phrasing it this way clearly differentiates the kind of sacrifice to save a loved one from a more selfish desire to die to end suffering. So they're being very clear that she's not dying because she wants to die it's it's because she loves him um even though at the end of the day she dead and this causes his persona to turn from hermes to tris magistus he then uses this persona to shoot a fireball at uh Jin the nerd who then falls down and then he and takaya throw a smoke bomb and disappear and that was the end of that their plan has once again failed okay i'm sure that's the last we'll see of them yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> there's no way they could survive that smoke bomb. Just impossible. So a few nights later, the hospital sends Yunpei uh, the sketchbook that Chidori left in the hospital. He's surprised to discover that instead of her usual avant-garde subject matter, it's just full of pictures of him because she loves him. It's a strong emotional beat, and it supports the notion of the importance of the connections between people and how they can even transcend death, which is good. It's, 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 it's all nice. But then a bit later, they do this optional subplot that was added for the uh, FES version where it turns out that actually she didn't die and goes into that. She instead didn't die and just went into a coma and then loses her memory and her persona powers and is able to be like a normal person. They try to do it in a way that doesn't massively alter his character arc, but it feels pretty gratuitous. And you, you like access it by talking to Yunpei like, in three random days and saying something supportive of his relationship with her. It's, it doesn't work. It, it adds nothing. It just kind of robs her death of a sense of significance. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah, know, I feel really like, taking... I feel like they, yeah. yeah. It's like either let them be together and just like, you know, she like gives up on Striga or 
she dies. Yeah, like like it felt like they kind of added that as like a little bonus for people who like just didn't want her to die and wanted her to be happy. But like you said, then you could have just actually you know altered it anyway and just let her be happy in the first place without her having to go through all that extra trauma to be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, the whole uh, that was the problem. Just- yeah, it's it's not a great addition. You can ignore it. Nothing will happen. Yeah, I you know, I guess yeah. they they realized how how upset people get when love interests die in video games. And so they assumed that adding a thing where you can make them not die will make everyone happy. And you know, maybe it did. Maybe it made some people happy. That's nice, I guess. <laughs> Good job. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you you people who are so invested in this this video game relationship. Like I'm not mocking being into a video game relationship. That's fine. Like you can be emotionally moved by it. This is not a super, I don't know. I, I feel like this yeah, isn't the relationship not... that people are going to get like, you know, super upset about. Exactly. <laughs> Ending tragically. Yeah. Like it's fine. This one can end tragically. It's not like, you know, she was one of your main party members and you were saving, you know, it's not like, you know, they added a thing where uh, you can bring Shinjiro back to life. Oh wait, they did add that in the, uh, <laughs> Um, i mean i like shidori a lot like but yeah i mean it's it's not really it's it's not really developed to earn i guess you know i i I think i put my i think i figured it out the the reason this bothers me in this game particularly is because a lot of this game's themes are about accepting death that is yes that is probably the main theme of the game and it's like this game about accepting death you can make everyone who dies not die yep Mm, yeah no <laughs> that's true way to undermine yourself yeah. game <laughs> <laughs> let's see so the next full moon is december 2nd it's the first full moon since the unpleasantness with the kutsky and the gang is hanging out the dorm waiting to see if anything happens when the dark hour comes i guess finds ryoji of all people on the moonlight bridge she's finally figured out what his deal is this is what his deal is. So basically, when the big shadow experiment took place all those years ago, the forbidden shadow of the 13th Arcana, Death, was created. However, due to Yukari's dad's sabotage, it remained whole only for a brief amount of time before the 12 Arcana shadows split out from it. But the Death Shadow that was at the center of the big shadow blob still existed in a lesser incomplete state. I guess was sent out to stop it, and it was on the very bridge where they now stand that those two fought. Even in this weakened state, it was too strong for her defeat. So she somehow sealed death and never explained how this happened. They literally just said she just sealed death, and then you accept it. I mean, because you're already accepting a, a robot girl, so mom also mm-hmm. accept this too. <laughs> So she sealed death within a small human child who happened to be hanging out on the massive bridge in the middle of the night. That child will obviously grow up to be the game's protagonist. Pharos, the weird magic stripy boy, was the manifestation of the same shadow. It was awakened when the protagonist returned to Port Island, where the 12 big arcana shadows had remained. His presence is what also caused the big boys to come out of hiding and start making trouble. They wanted to recombine with the Death Shadow and become the Super Shadow again. 
And remember what happened when his persona first awakened? His persona was Orpheus, but then another persona exploded out of Orpheus. That was Thanatos, the persona incarnation of the death shadow that was locked inside him. So defeating the last of the 12 big boys broke the seal that kept the death shadow locked inside the protagonist's head. So mainly the idea of this was that destroying their physical form makes them intangible, kind of like Pac-Man ghosts. (laughs) I like that (laughs) comparison. (laughs) And allows them to pass through our hero's skull and merge with the Stripe Boy. While Pharos was tagging along with our protagonist for all our high school adventures, he started to like the guy and to think that humans are pretty cool. So when he was able to physically manifest, he did so as the lovable Ryoji. So Aegis explains the basics of what happened to Ryoji, which causes him to remember everything. She then tries to kill him, but he's like, hey, chill, and uses, <laughs> and uses shadow magic to stop her. She doesn't chill. And keeps throwing herself at his unbreakable <laughs> shadow barrier <laughs> until she collapses. <laughs> As opposed to chilling, she does uh, the uh, complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah, that robot sure did seal a death shadow inside of a kid on a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I gotta admit. This is one of those plot points that I had I had a hard time with. I mean, <laughs> it it yeah. It's why was he on the bridge? <laughs> like that's that's my I I don't know. That's the thing that sticks out to me. I mean, I you was, know I I feel like it's one of those things, and it's not just a thing with persona, but it's one of those things that I find that disappoints me in fiction a lot where. You know, there's the whole principle. I understand the principle of the conservation of characters, but also I get a a little bummed out when every major event is tied into the same small group of characters that you've already been introduced to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes Um, sense. You know... And, and when, like in this case, you kind of like have to go through some sort of like logical narrative leaps just to make it work. Like, oh, we're going to seal death into this little kid. You You got to seal death somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, uh, and with all the sealing mechanics in the game, it does make sense that she would be able to do that. You know how you seal all those things in the game? And everyone's always talking about how sealing is you can do to shadows. That's and, true. Yeah, I mean, like, every every five minutes, Igor is just like, hey, remember to seal those shadows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a good um, game. I like the I'm... game. I like the story. Just, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I know, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm like totally bagging on it. This is this is something that I see a lot in genre fiction, where it's like, oh, just to follow the virtue of the conservation of characters, we're going to create this entirely new kind of like metaphysical dynamic to make the story work. <laughs> and 
I just find that a little frustrating. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, there, there, there's a lot of story things to to be to criticize here, but if you just roll with it and accept it, there's some cool stuff that it leads to, and I'm more forgiving there. Oh yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Like it, it, um, it go, they, they, if you accept this, they go good places with it. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. Like, I really like this game, and I also really like the story. But this is this is definitely one of the points where I was like, oh, "Come on, really? Okay, all right." I, I, I feel think, like they could have probably um, done something a little better. But I think at least they did explain why he was on the bridge. Didn't they mention that like? his parents happened to be out driving when they got caught up in the midnight hour, ended up crashing. And that was how his parents died. And he happened to, yeah, I think, I think that's how it happened. And then he just managed to get out of the car. He was awakened. And that was when he came across that scene and she decided to seal death inside him because he happened to be there. Yeah. So that that was, they actually did try. Yeah, (laughs) it is. But at least they tried to explain it. But yeah, okay. Fine. Yeah, no, you're totally, you're totally right. Yeah, good thing there's a human child here. So Fuka senses something is up with Igus, and the gang heads heads over to the bridge to see what's up. When they get there, uh, Ryoji lays out the situation for everyone, adding that as the thirteenth big boy, he's also the appraiser of some great maternal being. Appraiser is a different word than appraiser. But I can see why uh, you might be con- confused. You might be confused because appraiser is not a word that people actually use. It's the noun form of the word apprise, which means to inform, as uh, known, you know, as you would hear in the uh, well-known phrase, "Keep me apprised of the situation." There's got to be a good reason why they went with that word instead of the uh, more standard herald or even uh, harbinger. Then Ryoji passes out. The next day, in the uh, nice, comfy dorm, Ryoji explains that the maternal being is called Nyx. She's a sort of a primal cosmic entity from which comes death for everyone. The creation of the appraiser, also known as uh, Ryoji, sort of sends Nyx a uh, magic telegram, which causes her to wake up and cause the fall, which will end life on Earth. Ryoji isn't, you know, particularly fond of any of this, since he's he's pretty okay with humans. But as far as he's aware, there's nothing that can be done. He just is pretty fatalistic about it. You know, the process has already been set in motion, he says, and you can't kill Nyx any more than you can kill Death. I've actually got a question for you here, Alex, since mm-hmm. you are... The master of, or definitely a lot more well versed in mythology than I am. What, if any, is kind of like the mythological figure of Nyx? Okay, so Nyx is primary. Okay, Nyx as the goddess of the night in Greek mythology doesn't really show up much in most of your stories. However, she is an incredibly important figure in, which is a very old Greek poem which describes the creation of the universe and the birth of the gods. And in that, let me just pull that up real quick to make sure I get that right. I don't want to misquote here. 
Nix is one of the first beings to emerge from what I'm sorry. Yeah, one of the first beings to emerge from chaos, which was kind of the primal state of non-existence that preceded everything. Okay. Uh, so you get chaos and then earth and then, you know, basically various abstract concepts arise from that. It's, it's very similar to like Genesis 1 in the Bible about just how all these very abstract basic concepts come into being. Except in theogony, they are coming out of chaos or nothingness. Um, right. So that that's so Nix doesn't really play much of a figure, doesn't play much of a role in actual stories, but she has kind of a lineage of children, like various abstractions, like that you will see, like the Strega's persona are some of Nix's children. Like uh, one of them has like Moros, which is the personification of doom. The fates were her children, Hypnos, sleep, Morpheus, dreams, all of those guys. Oh, and of course, Thanatos comes out of Nyx, which ties in directly there. But basically, they they just wanted to kind of create their own kind of figure of the the death, the death impulse, the like yeah the death impose telos the end of things is what they're evoking here and i nix is a good choice for that it's not a super deep like mythological reading it's 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 a logical choice though right right for this kind of figure nix is a good choice for that i I probably couldn't come up with anything better cool yeah cool yeah thanks Mm -hmm. yeah i've i've always kind of wondered that but yeah, it's one of those gray areas in Greek mythology that's very easy to just fill in with kind of um, the big mythic story you want to tell. Good characters for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know. I know a little bit about Greek mythology, but yeah, Nyx was completely out of my... Yeah, because she's not in any stories. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so there's no reason you yeah. would know. <laughs> yeah. Also, what was interesting about Nyx is that, of course, she appears in other Shin Megami Tensei games, but most notably, she actually is the final boss of the Snow Queen quest in Persona 1, because she appears as the Night Queen. That's actually Nyx. So I thought oh, that was... wow. Yep, that's yeah, it's her. Yeah, the same so, figure there. Yep, so it's actually pretty interesting that the P1 cast just absolutely, like, bodied her. (laughs) And then she reappears in Persona 3, and it's like... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, the way that the, 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 like... Personas one and two connect to Persona three is very, uh, Persona three. Oh yeah, five is very bizarre. Like because they do. Oh, make it is. Yeah. Link them up. But it's like they, yeah, they oh, are the yeah. Universe. They, they they don't seem like the same universe, but they keep mentioning people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah very, exactly. Very <laughs> yeah, it, it's once, just yeah. Yeah, once we get to, to uh, Persona two, yeah, that's that's going to be a head fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, so, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, getting back to uh basically uh Ryoji's whole spiel. You know, he says you can't kill Nyx any more than you can kill death. But because he likes our gang, he gives them a choice. The protagonist can uh basically kill the human part of Ryoji, which will erase all memories of the dark hour. And of the impending uh, end of the world. That way, everyone will think everything is fine up until the world ends. And this is when the game kind of 
turns into like a exercise in nihilism <laughs> and I am all the way there for it <laughs> or what the world would be like. I, I, I think this is really well done anyway. So basically he gives them the option, like everybody will live thinking that everything is fine until the world ends or they can choose not to kill him and uh, spend the rest of their lives in terror and misery knowing that the inevitable death of everyone is approaching. He strongly urges them to kill him, and the group's not quite sure what to do. He lets them know that uh, they have until New Year's Eve to make the choice, after uh, which time he's going to be reincorporated into the Knicks, and it's going to be too late. Right, so the gang spends most of the next month in a state of existential crisis, like Paul said there. It's good stuff. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. Jesus, walk home. You go to school, walk home, you know, talk to the cast members. They're like, but what is the choice to know that which you cannot change? Good stuff. And, like, they just, you you really get a good sense of all of these different characters struggling with these ideas. You know, these people that you've really gotten to know in a much more kind of standard go-beat-the-bad-guy sort of RPG just kind of hanging out, not really being able to do anything and just facing the inevitability of death and questioning the right way to go into that. Yeah. I like it. It's good. (laughs) So Agus also gets repaired here and she's pretty upset since she couldn't kill the death shadow. She's a failure as a shadow killing machine because her purpose was to kill shadows and she's a bad shadow killer. But then the gang talks her through and is like, Hey, it's okay. Because you're a sentient being with like thoughts and feelings, you get to determine what your purpose is in life, even though you were built to kill shadows. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm going to live life on my own terms, which causes her persona to turn from Palladion into Athena. Uh, so I not to go into this too deep, but Palladion isn't really a thing. It's probably a reference to Athena's shield, which makes sense since Aegis is a robot. And then her turning into her persona turning into Athena herself goddess of war and wisdom shows her turning from you know a tool into you know a more person-y person cool there's some thought there it doesn't quite fit the pattern you see with like akihiko and mitsuru and the other ones but it, it's good it's a fine transformation there and then everyone says that she's turned from a robot into a human being just in case everyone missed that symbolism there which is fair enough but yeah everyone's just like wow you sound like a person and not a robot now She's still a robot, though. She's still a robot. Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they don't full-blown Pinocchio this, because then they'd yeah. have to do new animations. And... Yeah, that's <laughs> I feel like if they didn't have to do new animations, she absolutely would have turned into a human. Yeah. Yeah, true. I am, I am 100% convinced of that. <laughs> um, and if she was a male character, she would have been turned into a horny human. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> that's, 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 that's see, how it see, goes. See, Teddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> they had the budget for new animations in his case. Um, so, yeah. So the month basically continues kind of with nothing really plotty happening, which is great. It's just this, this feeling of like, geez, what are we going to do? I guess. And also let's keep going towards the top of Tartarus because sure. And also school. And so the month passes, and then on New Year's Eve, Ryoji shows up in your bedroom, and it's like, okay, you're going to kill me or no? And so this is where you get the very difficult choice to make, where you kind of decide if you're going to get the bad ending or the good ending. 
Now, it's it's yeah, it's what you think. If if you you, you don't kill him, you get the good ending, uh, and if you do kill him, you, you get the bad ending because the whole theme is accepting death and going in with your eyes open. And if you choose to let him live, he then turns into like his spooky Thanatos death form and is like, hey, are you sure I'm a scary monster and I'm going to kill you all? You sure? You sure? But eventually you're like, yeah, I'm sure. Stop monstering at me, man. Um, (laughs) He's like, all right, fine. And he stops monstering at you. He's like, fine, I'm going to tell you how to go fight Nyx, even though that's stupid and pointless. Yeah. So it turns out in a plot twist that no one saw coming. When Nyx gets to Earth, the place she's going to land is at the top of Tartarus. That's what the tower's for. It's like a landing pad for Nyx. Shocking! Yeah. (laughs) That's what's at the top of the tower, death. Which is, again, a lovely metaphor for life in general and high school. When you get to the end, you die. So that's that's that metaphor. Uh, It's it's what you thought. Cool. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go join... uh, my death mama and he disappears and that finishes your uh, fool s link your c's social link and then you unlock the judgment s link which is your going to fight death even though you know you're gonna die you know making your quixotic you know stand against the windmill that is your own mortality happy 2009 <laughs> and this one is just gonna uh, happy 2020 yep yeah <laughs> uh, tell me about it so this, yeah, this social link is just going to level up as you're making your way to the top, the top of Tartarus. It's it's a good way of kind of making that those last few floors feel like they are progressing you towards something because it is the same thing you've been doing all game. But seeing that social link level up as you do that is a good way to you know kind of make it feel a little bit different. Could have been a little more different, but sure. then that wouldn't have been true to the theme. So good job, game. Also during this last month, you unlock a special social link with Igus. This is noticeable, notable for being represented by the Aeon Arcana, which is not part of the standard tarot deck. It's part of Alistair Crowley's Thoth tarot deck, which is a modified version of the standard tarot. Basically, he dechristianed it and made it fit in with his weird occult stuff. I say weird occult stuff because it's not really that weird. His occult stuff. It's pretty bog standard occult stuff, honestly. Oh, uh, it's goes. it's 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 pretty fucking weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, if you if if you if you mix in the you know the sex magic and all that. Oh yeah, well, yeah, no, sex magic. I mean, it's what you'd expect when you hear occult stuff. That's really what I mean. Like yeah. when you hear spooky black magic, it, it's what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so in his deck, Aeon takes the place of the Judgment card. I'm not sure why they started grabbing cards out of a different deck. I think it's because they ran out of cards. That's the only reason I can think of. But I, I don't think they thought about it too much. Unless there's something I haven't thought of here. If if you know why they did that, write in. I want to hear it. Please. Meanwhile, a pro-apocalypse cult of weirdos that's led by Takaya also springs up here and starts spray-painting like pro-Nix graffiti all over town. Um, the game doesn't talk about this too much, but it's... It, this is a necessary part of the plot. So it's important to know that it's happening and just like seeing that graffiti, like as this section of the game starts happening, does kind of make the world feel a little different and, and is good. I think it's awesome world building. not only is your team really just like having this existential crisis, 
But when you talk to the NPCs, they've just gone down this like nihilist hole. <laughs> like, what's the point of going on? What you know, we're all gonna die anyway. And I think seeing like a large group of people just embracing the idea of the coming apocalypse, as you know, many people do in the real world. It's, it's, it's a pretty common thing, honestly. People who long for the apocalypse and the end of life on Earth as it exists. So, it, so it's good that it's here. Makes sense. I'm rambling now. Oh, no, no, no. No, I, I think, I mean, I just started to... Yeah, put too fine a point on it, but like, I think what really makes it effective is that you're getting it from the NPCs. You're getting it from the the person who works, you know, works at the restaurant. You're getting it from the shop owner and everything like that. And like all these people that you've talked to who have been trying to get you to buy the buy their wares or something like that. It really worked for me. It like was really strong. All these people have just kind of like given up. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Like the game was kind of hinting towards this kind of idea earlier with the whole apathy syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think like cuz it, it's in the same vein, but I think this kind of acceptance of this end of the world thing feels more right than that did cuz it's really unclear what that even is and how it's happening. I think it's like because then like the case the number of like people with the apathy syndrome decreases every month after you defeat the shadow and it's like what? How does yeah. this tie in? It's, it's a little mushy. But here, death is coming. Some people are relieved by that, and you're seeing that in the world, and it, it's good. It's, it's a lot of envi- it's environmental storytelling rather than, you know, yeah. just saying, oh, oh, now the number of apathy cases have gone down. Like, you do right. see, like, occasionally, like, a person just kind of staring off into space throughout the rest of the game, but it never really feels like part of a larger whole. Yeah, um, true. While this does, and I, I think that's good. Um, yeah. And then um, also at some point here, the gang realizes that if they do somehow defeat Nyx, they're probably going to lose their memories of the Dark Hour-related stuff that they've been doing so far. So they decide that they're going to remember to meet up on graduation day, no matter what happens to their memories. This... Okay, um, <laughs> I gave I gave them like slack because they're they're teenagers. They're trying to be a little hopeful. I was like, you know what, yeah, you need no. that motivation. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I get that, it. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that's what helps them I, I, try to defeat death itself, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I always run into trouble with you know any kind of magic related story where people lose their memories of all the magic stuff that happened. Like I, I just, Oh yeah. Like, it's very hard. It's very hard to write that well. Mm-hmm. And there must be a reason yeah, that people keep doing it. Even though no one I know likes it. That's weird. Th- th- like there must be a reason. Yeah. So yeah. I... Everyone's always forgetting all the magic adventures they happened. Why are they forgetting? I know. It's just kind of like, (laughs) stop forgetting. It's fine. Just have them remember. Remember that they beat death. It's cool. Yeah. If anything, this is going to make them more confident and more able to like, you know, lead a fulfilling life. True. Yeah. (laughs) So people do. I feel like the only way I can possibly see how people do it is because, like, if they're trying to preserve a status quo for some reason. So if 
and I feel like that's really lazy, of course, but like, you know, it's that kind of thing where if you realize that the end, all the events that happened in a story is going to significantly change people's personalities and lives and everything, then you just kind of have a reset of, oh, yeah, actually, they don't remember all that stuff. So, haha, they could just go back to what happened to them before. And it's just kind of like, so mm-hmm. then why did you even write this story? It's just kind of pointless almost sometimes when you like do that. Not like with this game that it would feel, you know, but in just in general when it's used. Yeah, here they like when when they do do that in a bit because yeah, that that's what happens. They do lose their memories. They didn't need to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, could have just not done it. It it really wouldn't have changed very much at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess the only thing that uh, no, well, the the thing it would have changed is they would have had to make more new cutscenes from the bad (laughs) ending where everyone lost their memories versus the good (laughs) ending where they didn't. But that, like, <laughs> these aren't like you know, these are in-engine cutscenes. It's just you know, yeah, it's not exactly. That hard. <laughs> you could cut out like you know, <laughs> any one of the tiny little episodes that happened earlier in order to do that. It would be fine. Pretty much, but you know, it, it's nitpicking. I'm I'm just nitpicking here. It's not. not- oh, I understand. Let's see. So January thirty-first, the appointed day has arrived. It's now time to meet Nyx for a final hopeless battle. On the way up to Tartarus, we fight Jean, the Strager nerd, who blows himself up with a hand grenade after we beat him. Several floors later, we we fight Takaya, who explains that life is meaningless and everyone dying would be good. I'm not 100% clear on why they'd make a point of trying to stop us, since Nyx is definitely unbeatable. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they just had to have like a last stand with these two characters, like just to mm-hmm. just to wrap them up finally. It just that's really the only reason why I feel like they did this on the yeah, uh, roof. A dark on the way up to the final boss, exactly. And it might as well be like your 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 the two guys out of like your trio of like reoccurring you know bosses. So they're like, oh, I might as well just throw those guys at you one last time. Like, yeah, sure, I'll beat him again. <laughs> So, on the roof, a dark-winged figure flies down from the moon. It explains that it was once Ryoji, but now is but an aspect of Nyx. Then it's combat time. It has one stage for each arcana, up to 13. It's, it's, it can be a bit much, because the fight ends up taking about 45 minutes, just because of how long it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, after... I know. <laughs> so that after hard, beating, like, just I died once during it, and that like you die once thirty minutes into it, and it feels like a big deal. Oh my gosh! Oh man! So after beating the Avatar of Nyx, it flies back up to the moon. The moon somehow opens a giant red eye and shoots some kind of death beam at the Earth. We get some anime scenes of people below, presumably people up and born into the Nyx cult who are super jazzed that the moon eye is going to kill everyone. Takaya hobbles up to the roof and laughs at the team before he passes out. But the gang isn't having any of this death nonsense and decides to continue fighting this space eye somehow, but it blasts them with some spooky Nyx power. <laughs> this knocks the protagonist out and sends him to the Velvet Room, where we get something that becomes Persona Standard. 
all your social links giving words of encouragement, which powers you up. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy how it was so profound here. And then they just kept doing it over and over. It's just like, why? (laughs) And he has the sense. Yeah, it was great. Like the first time you see it, it's so good. And then it is. Yeah. And it's like, and it's just exactly. (laughs) It's like, come on. (laughs) So this time their combined power takes the form of a super powerful new arcana, the universe. This is not a standard tarot card, but instead belongs to Crowley's Thoth uh, deck, where it takes the place of the standard decks, the world. I really have no idea why they made this substitution, and I mean, it's it, it's kind of I I guess they went with the world because since you're kind of fighting like the moon and it's in space, and I guess they were trying to tie it in that way, like it was kind of a larger than life sort of battle. Like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that's why they needed the, yeah. the, the universe. Cause I guess it contrasts with the worlds of persona four where the world was Inaba. So it was much more localized. Yeah. Although I guess yeah. the reason it annoys me a little bit is because in tarot, like the world and the universe, like the world symbolizes the universe. It's the same symbolically. It's, yeah, it is. Like, yeah. In the symbology of the tarot, it is identical. Mm-hmm. I, yeah it's just yeah like, no absolutely let's just change it and like in the later ones they they don't pull that but I, I, you know it's it's a minor choice that we're here to complain about <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i made this complaint during persona 5 and i will probably make it during persona 4 well, probably not as much during Persona 4. But, like, as far as the scope and the stakes, it always kind of bums me out that at the end of a Persona game, you're fighting a god that is bigger than anything you've experienced within the narrative of the game to that point and this one i this one i feel like it kind of earns it but just because it is so kind of like obsessed with death but just kind of the like oh you're battling this creature that's taken over the moon all of a sudden even though for the rest of the game you were in the city that always kind of bums me out yeah, I mean, so there, yeah. like, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up or not, but there was, like, this book of supplemental material that apparently goes into more depth about what Nyx is as, like, this space entity and how it, like, I, it's, I mean, there's a translation of it on, like, Tumblr, and it's really weird, and I don't know how reliable the translation is, but the explanation for what Nyx is and what shadows and stuff are that it provides is so dumb that I hate it, but it does contextualize like why the moon is a giant eyeball and stuff in this very kind of hokey, um, kind of like occult sci-fi kind of way, like this entity between universes that infected the DNA of the earth. It's crap like that attempts to provide an explanation for kind of the, the mythological and psychological themes that run through the, the story of the game. And I really, 
I don't think it like I don't I can see why that has not been incorporated into later material. Right. Um, right. Because like it, it was clearly developed alongside the game and later on people, you know, working on the series like, yeah, you know what, let's let's move away from this a little bit. And Persona 4 like is very clearly moving in a much more no, this is mythology, the mythology direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think yeah, is yeah, very true. the right choice. <laughs> Yeah. I agree with that, and, and it made it made things way more concise too, with like the persona and stuff like that. Like everyone had proper themes; they were related to each other well. They all made sense. They had like they just they just uh, were it was much more cohesive, you know, with that. Yeah, and it's a par- parallel universe that doesn't really sort of like undermine the the smallness of the of Naba basically yeah. whereas mm-hmm. in this case and persona 5 it's like now we're dealing with something that is m- more gigantic than anything that you could imagine whereas for most of the game you were just dealing with some like supernatural shit in a city yeah, that's true. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's okay. So so remember how the Velvet Room is an elevator? Because I didn't. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> did forget. <laughs> or even if you kind of remember it, you just sort of like put it in the back of your mind after a while. But the, that, that elevator actually does have thematic importance. Because it finally reaches the top floor, and it's time to get off. Yeah, so the elevator opens onto the top of Tartarus, where everybody's been knocked down by the big red eye of Nyx. And uh, the protagonist flies up towards the moon, chased by the spindly hands of shadows, and finds himself in a one-on-one fight with a very abstract representation of Nyx herself. He then uses a very powerful cutscene attack, which is the Great Seal. The party stands in a starry abyss, wondering what the heck happened when they hear Ryoji's voice. He tells them that the uh, protagonist has performed a miracle, as well as having found the answer to the question of life. So, if you want to let me know that, that'd be great. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, you could have told somebody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so Nix is uh, basically going back to sleep and things are going to be normal again. Also, everyone's going to forget about the dark hour. And I'll just n- note here that the fact that Nix isn't really defeated, but goes back to sleep, like could make for a cool, uh, cool sequel. Yeah. Yeah. True. Like, yeah. Within the same world as persona three. Did that happen in the fighting games? I feel like it might. It probably did. <laughs> I, I, like, I keep trying to read about what happens in those, but I, my eyes just glaze over. Yeah, Elisa and I did an episode once where we very, very briefly lost over the fighting games, but we didn't really talk about the story. But yeah, probably. I was thinking more in the sense of like the fantasy star games and uh, Dark Forest coming back at mm. what's in one, you know, over and over. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I, they could definitely use Nyx again. Yeah. 
And I feel like the world of uh, Persona 3 is so cool that, like, it could be, like, a mini franchise in itself. But. I mean, there has been, like, there has been a fair amount of spinoff media. I know there was, like, like an anime or something that was based in the world or, like, an alternate version of it hmm. that had its own story um, with different characters and stuff. I don't know that much about it because I read about it and it didn't sound that good, but... <laughs> Trinity Soul. That's that's <laughs> what I'm thinking of. Uh, it's about brothers. Oh who have, yeah, like, persona powers, and there's like, I don't know. I, it. I was interested at first, but then I read a little more about it and was like, eh, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna pass. Yeah, it, it wasn't great. I watched some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we'll link to that if you. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so the bell of Tartarus rings and the strange tower disassembles itself and is uh, drawn piece by piece back into the moon. Also, your protagonist reappears, even though it seemed like he wasn't really coming back. Igus is super happy about this and sheds a few tears. And then you have a flash forward to graduation day. This is... A lot like the graduation day scene during the bad ending, except this time, Igus walks up to the uh, protagonist and says that she remembers everything. He's basically like, yeah, me too. Well, let's go chill on the school roof. Everyone else on the team suddenly remembers everything that happened in the middle of the ceremony, and they rush off to find him and Igus, presumably for some sort of party. And then, meanwhile, on the roof, the protagonist rests his head in Igus's lap as uh, she talks about her experience of time passing and our connections with each other and uh, how they allow us to live, even with the knowledge that uh, our death is inevitable. And just as the friends reach the rooftop, the protagonist falls asleep in the warm spring sun and he dies. And I'm going to be honest, like, I'm getting a little choked up just reading uh, the the end of it. it. It is really, really one of the most affecting endings I've ever played in a game. The way that it's treated is incredibly tasteful. You don't totally understand what's happening as it's happening. I mean, I myself was like, oh, no, no, he's not going to die. Yeah, no, that's and, the experience of it. And <laughs> then he does. And I do not tear up very often in games, but I did here. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's an incredibly moving scene. Yeah, um, it is. I- the relationship between him and I guess is really meaningful at this point in the game. And the fact that his death is just kind of treated so sort sort of tastefully, but also in a very understated way. Like, I don't know. It just really, really got me. And it still gets me just thinking about it right now. 
Yeah, it's it's a very strong ending. Very subtle. It's just really good. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what made the scene so good because of how subtle it was. Like they didn't try to overwrought the tragedy or try to like just try and work too hard to make you feel sad. It's just like it's presented as is. So you have a lot of, you know, what you're seeing and then of course there's always the character interpretations based on subtext so i think all of that comes together and makes this really really great like simplistic like yet very deeply meaning uh scene that just like still holds up i think yeah it's it's still really strong and it like it it you know completes the game's theme in a way that like you know complaining earlier about how like how you you know various versions of the game allow you to undo other characters deaths and this one you know and thank uh, thank everything that you can't <laughs> undo this death and have him live in you know persona 3 for the ps5 i hope <laughs> yeah because like this is a, a presentation of death as not something and like it's something that the game keeps kind of hinting at that death itself is not a bad thing. Death is just a thing that exists. Like it's always very clear about how Nyx is not a malevolent force. Nyx is just death. It's just, you know, this inevitable thing that, you know, when the beacon to Nyx calls it, it comes and brings death. And that's just what happens. And the question of like, you know, going into death with your eyes open versus just it sneaking up on you. And here, like, you know, I think we're, we fill in the blanks that, you know, our character we've been playing as for this whole game is going to death, aware of it and accepting it and dying in a very kind of beautiful way that's, you know, no less sad, but feels complete rather than, you know, arbitrary and capricious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it... It is probably one of the most tasteful things I've ever seen in a video game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really good. It's yeah, they they get the ending very much right. And you know, I was just thinking a second ago about how at first when I was like writing the notes and stuff about how the ending where you choose not to remember the shadow stuff and just the end of the world happens and the actual ending are so similar. I actually think I really like that because I think it, it's yeah, it does. Nothing really changes that much. It's like knowing this about the world and about you know yourself and your own mortality doesn't create these you know massively different experiences in life. It's a very subtle difference, but a very meaningful one. And mm-hmm. just like if you look at those two scenes next to each other, they're just kind of this weird dissonance of these characters who don't remember what happened, just hanging out on graduation day and doing karaoke which is what happens in that scene, by the way. They, they all go out to karaoke. And how that's not really all that different from um, what happens in this one. Well, except for your main character dies. But in that one, everyone else dies too. But you right. don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> and you also, the characters rem- remember in this one. Yeah, that's nice too. Yeah, and I mean, again, I have the issues with them forgetting in the first place. I think you could have done this without that. But... What that is such a small complaint. It's fine. Yeah, like everything it does right here is so, is so much bigger than that little. You know, why are people forgetting things? Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> it's great. So, do we want to talk about the answer? 
Yeah, I'm just going to, I'll give you a brief blow by blow, not blow by blow, Jesus, no. I will give you a summary of what happens in the answer if you're interested. So the answer. Well, should we tell tell people what the answer is? Yes, I'm, <laughs> yes, probably a good like, idea. So the answer is when they released the updated second version of Persona 3, the FES edition, they added a playable epilogue, I believe is what it's called. It's like a post-game dungeon crawler thing that also wraps up the story and answers some questions about what the hell actually happened and why did this guy die and what's going on (laughs) people have uh, mixed feelings about it generally i certainly do like it's not fun to play because it basically (laughs) you do a bunch of like little mini tartaruses but you don't have the persona compendium so you have to like fuse like once you've fused a persona, that persona's gone. You can't get it back. So it it's harder and more annoying because you have to, you know, like really carefully consider when you're going to fuse your personas and you've got one that's really good and powerful. And, oh, you can make this really cool looking new persona with it, but that one's weak to ice and all of, and you have three other persona who are weak to ice. So you probably shouldn't fuse that yet. It's, I, I could see if you were really into the, the combat in Persona 3, finding it to be a fun challenge, but I don't think anyone is really into the combat in persona three it's fine no i don't i don't need a a version that's the same but more frustrating so as a result of that not a lot of people have finished it because there is some interesting story stuff there but you really you have to grind through some very dull gameplay to get there so the plot of the answer basically is a couple months after protagonist dies the answer does confirm that he is in fact dead because the game is the main game is ambiguous on that. So that's helpful (laughs) (laughs) because he, no, he didn't die, man. He just fell asleep. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's obviously implied by everything about that scene that he's dead. And that there are places on the internet. Well, which will argue that. (laughs) Yeah. He's not dead. It just, they they just, you know, (laughs) like, of course he's dead. Watch the damn scene. (laughs) Like, this is why games aren't nuanced, because people are going to be idiots about it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so in the answer, it's a couple months later. Oh, and hey, we get to hang out with some of our our favorite old characters again. This will be fun. Oh, what's this? Everyone is being weird and kind of a jerk and sad and not being buddy-buddy. And also the same day is repeating itself like Groundhog's Day. That's the problem that they have to deal with. Everyone is weird and sad and distant because their buddy died and they're trying to make sense of it. And the same day keeps repeating itself. Then like, then like another Agus like robot shows up named Metis and she's weird. And you're wondering what the deal is with her. And then you go to this place called the Abyss of Time, where it's just like a desert with a bunch of doors. And behind each door is an annoying dungeon. Um, like, not that annoying, but annoying because they're not interesting in any way. And at the end of them, you like kind of get a chance to look back at moments of the past and understand the characters and what's changed for them. Basically, a story emerges that... You can go back and perhaps change the past so that the protagonist doesn't die. And then all of our party members kind of get into a fight with some of them wanting to 
do that and try to save him and other ones being like, no, world is saved. Let's not mess with this stuff. Sacrifice was meaningful. Right. And you get some scenes like if you watch the like that video that plays when you first boot up Persona FES, there are a bunch of scenes of the main characters fighting each other that are not in the main game. They're from this <laughs> um, because they're very weird and feel and they make no sense uh, in the context that you certainly first saw them. Exactly. Um, that's what they're from. So I'm not going to go into depth about this, but basically at the end, you find out about this thing called Erebus, which is re- this monster that represents humanity, the, the part of humanity that's calling out towards Nyx. Basically, the, the part of us that just wants the end of suffering that we, you know, we see in like the, the Nyx cult at the end of the game. And in the, the protagonist's sacrifice, he's kind of become the seal that locks the door that prevents Erebus from reaching out to Nyx and calling destruction back on earth. So he's like sacrificed himself to kind of press mute on humanity calling out for its own death. And that's what his sacrifice actually means. And there's a little bit of weirdness there with like, so he sacrificed himself, but then he got to live for a couple of more months because that's nice. and He deserved that and a nice death don't get too much explanation on that, but it's nice. I like it. Wow. How I kind of interpret it was that like, because what he sacrificed to that gate was kind of his soul was that he just kind of like the, the last bit of energy that he could have, he managed to live for a few more months with his, his, his friends. And then when he finally just didn't have any more energy to keep his body sustained, he just finally let his body die, and then his soul fully went on to that seal. That that's how I interpret it. I don't know if that's yeah, correct that, or that, not. But. That sounds right to me. That that's that sounds like what they were going for. Um, yeah, the yeah. Idea that he, like gave his, his soul his life force, but you know there was still a little gas in the tank. Exactly. So it, yeah, the answer is weird. If you're interested in it, I would suggest you know going on YouTube and watching the cutscenes. Because there, there yeah. is some writing yeah. that I quite like. Yeah, and, and that's really what you want. You want the cutscenes because the gameplay is not fun, as you said before. So yeah, that's, that, just... that's, that's the problem with this. It's really, really annoying to play and not fun at all. I know. I, I had to level up Yolunga three times so I could fuse with it three times because there's no compendium. That sums up <laughs> the answer. I have not played the answer. Do we get any like cool like character work or like any anything yes, like that? Uh, yeah, there, there's some good character yeah. in the answer. Some some people don't exactly. like it because it it portrays a much less positive view of a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. That's actually something I quite like about it. Right. These are human characters. Like, no, Yukari can be a total jerk sometimes, and like yeah. it's kind of shocking to see her act like that. But it's also, I think, really good because like she's really upset like her good friend just died and she's working through that and doesn't know how to feel so she's kind of shut herself off emotionally like it's it's not fun to watch the characters act the way they do here but i think it is true to them and i think it is pretty good yeah and they're teenagers on top of it so teenagers you're still emotionally like not stable like it's not like these are like 20 30 something year old so they're still kind of even like a teenager with a normal life is kind of like their emotions go haywire so imagine teenagers 
with trauma and then dealing with their friend dying on them. And then they find out why their friend died. And now they're, they're just, they don't even know what to think. So I feel like with Yukari, it made, it did make a lot of sense too why she kind of went sort of like ridiculous because it was more like, what were we supposed to do? We're supposed to just let him suffer like that forever? Like that probably freaked her out. And then she probably felt guilt about it that like, you know, there, everyone getting to live and be happy means that like, he has to just kind of stay there forever. Yeah. Oh, um, and we forgot to mention uh, in this, in the answer you play as I guess she gets like the wild card ability. Yeah. And yeah. Just worth mentioning. Oh, what yeah. kind of yeah, uh, development, if any, do we get on? I guess. I don't remember it that well. It's more of Pinocchio crap, basically. Um, right. like it's not done badly. It's, 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 a, it's, it's very much a continuation of her learning how to be human. Yeah. And trying to hold on to her humanity through all this and work through her own emotions and how she feels about the the former protagonist as she's trying to kind of hold the group together as well. Because now she has the wild card ability, so it kind of falls on her to do that. Yeah, right. it's it, it's, you know, it's not badly done or anything, It's it, but it is, you know, the kind of learning. It, it does develop her character in some ways that felt like more lightly done in her main like arc in the main game. Right. Do give that, they short change that a little bit. It's just like, Oh, we found a robot. Let's bring the robot to school. Oh, the robots learned to be human. Hooray. And not really going that much through the emotional work of becoming human. And you get more of that in the answer. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, Wrapping up here, is there anything else uh, you guys want to say about Persona 3 in general? I like the game. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, honestly, despite, like, you know, the shortcomings it has, I'm very fond of this game. Like, I really am. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was was a window, uh, a gateway for me into shin megami tensei as a whole so for that alone like i really treasure it and then just going back to the game itself like i do love the characters i love their arcs i think the gameplay is very interesting even though you know you have the issues of course of ai controlled party members but you know one more system at the time was really really interesting for me the the aesthetics the visuals like how it kind of tackled a lot of very dark, mature themes. Like, it was stuff that, like, at the time, I wasn't used to seeing in JRPGs like that. So it was really nice to kind of have a very, like, uh, different sort of angle to that kind of, to those kind of themes and and plots, things like that. So I do, I do really like this game a lot. And I think it's worth a shot for anyone who likes Persona in general. Yeah, I think that it starts stronger than the middle of it, and then it ends really strongly. Mm. I also think that it's probably the uh, coolest (laughs) Persona game. Yeah. And maybe that's just my soft spot for the darkness and the death thieving, and especially early on when you're just entering into these like spaces and there's all these mysterious graves that are like showing up in the middle of the night and everything like that. This is not a surprise to 
listeners of the show, but I'm a huge David Lynch fan. And I feel like David Lynch is a huge influence on a lot of the elements of Persona and Shimigami Tensei games. But there is just something very, very Lynchian about like the game, especially in the early parts. And that will always really stick with me. And also, the way it ends is really, really incredibly affecting. You know, and mechanically, I think that it's definitely been improved since then. But, I mean, you know, if I you know, never had to deal with a million randomly generated Tartarus levels again, it would be too soon. (laughs) But, but, you know, it's just phenomenal. And uh, I wish there was a good way to play it at this point. If you can get your hands on a Vita, you can play Persona 3 Portable, which does have the female character added. But... Unfortunately, the overworld is turned into a point-and-click game. Persona 3 Fez is probably, you know, the PS2 game is probably the best uh, version at this point. But it would be great if uh, there was a modernized version of it. But, you know, if you can get your hands on it, and you've enjoyed any other Persona games or SMT games, I think it's really, really worth it. And I I also think that in a way, if you kind of like draw a line between Persona 1 and 2 and then 3, 4, and 5, it's almost kind of like the purest of the latter-day Persona games as far as it has a very, very clear theme and it really just kind of like sticks to it all the way through. So, yeah, I, you know, if you can get your hands on it, I would highly recommend playing it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I the, the, the thing I, that, that after this playthrough that really stands out to me most is that the whole of this game is much greater than the sum of its parts. Like, when you look at it piece by piece, pretty much everything in it, most things, were done better by either four or five. But... When you put them all together, the experience of playing this game is very much worth having on its own. It has a a feel to it that is very unique and I think very much worth experiencing. And the way that it does use, you know, in some cases, clumsier versions of mechanics that were later improved upon to really highlight a very interesting and unusual theme for a, a an RPG. Um, I mean, how many games are there about accepting your own mortality? I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of cool indie games about that, but, you know, in a mainstream JRPG, that's it's, it's an unusual theme that I, I really appreciate here. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to love about this game. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Well, should we uh, wrap it up here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's getting late. A couple things that I just wanted to mention before we go. So one of our listeners, Justin, sent me a Facebook message the other day. He's actually made a fan fiction, fan-made rulebook for a uh, Persona 3 tabletop game called Persona 3 Seas Worldwide. And uh, so, yeah, that's super cool. 
and I will definitely add a link to that in the in the show notes. And let's see. Also, the next game we will be doing is uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor. So bust out your 3DSs because <laughs> that's the version <laughs> we're going to be doing. And uh, yeah, we will hopefully be doing that sooner than later. And I think that'll be kind of a cool, that'll be kind of a cool transition because I feel like the devil survivor games are probably the most persona of all the mainline or the main SMT games. Um, So yeah, that's what we got coming up. Is there anything you guys would like to mention or plug? Let's see. Well, I can always plug, as usual, that, you know, I work for a video game website called DualShockers.com. You know, it's a pretty cool uh, independent gaming uh, site where we do have news, previews, reviews, interviews, all sorts of cool stuff, and editorials as well. You know, definitely check me out. You can find my own body of works through my author's page on the site. And, of course, as for another thing, I'm also part of this uh, group called Black Girl Gamers. You can follow us on Twitter and also support individual streamers who are part of the group through uh, Twitch.com. And all that information is available through the official uh, Twitter account. You know, it's just, it's a great group of very, very talented ladies, you know, who you know, come together. It's a nice community, especially for a space that often doesn't uh, shine on uh, black women. So, you know, definitely, definitely check us out. Awesome stuff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check that out. I'm just co-signing. <laughs> Alex, you got anything? Not so much. I guess I will plug the hobby of book conservation and repair, which I've gotten very into in the last couple of months. It's really cool. If you own a lot of books and some of them aren't in good shape, there are things you can do to make them be in good shape again. So look into that if you're interested at all. Yeah, you've been nice. (laughs) You've been posting on the Slack about that. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm almost finished with my first like major like repair where I've completely recased a hardcover book and I made a new cover and everything for that. And it's uh, I haven't done crafting wow. for years, and it, it's it's really been a great experience. That's awesome. That I guess aside from that, let's see. Well, I also host and sometimes with Lisa co-host another JRPG podcast, Combo Chain. It's been a long time coming, but. There is an episode that will probably come out around the same time as this one that our old friend Fletch recorded with me about Final Fantasy XIII Lightning Returns, which uh, is (laughs) shockingly just to show off what a uh, Final Fantasy neophyte I am. Probably my favorite Final Fantasy game. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. I love that game. And Oh, you do too, Alex? Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. That will probably be coming out around the same time. And then Elisa and I are long overdue for doing a another news episode. So we will have to touch base and record that pretty soon. Because oh, yeah, definitely. there's not a been, of course, a whole lot of news going on as far as in the video game world. But, you know, it's been about a month and a half, so... 
there's probably some JRPG news for us to cover. So yeah, that's uh, Combo Chain at uh, ComboChain.com or you know on your usual podcast subscribing things. And uh, other than that, let's see. Yeah, all the usual. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It's awesome when you guys message us over Facebook or Twitter or our email, megatenmarathon at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, sorry it's been so long since we had a lot. I think this is probably the fourth time we've tried to record this episode. So Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we've been having a lot of technical issues, but uh, yep, hopefully we will have the Devil Survivor episode out sooner than a month and a half from now, which is where we're at with this one. So anyway, thank you so much for listening and supporting, and uh, yeah, anything you guys want to say? Nothing really. (laughs) Awesome. All right, well, thanks so much, and uh, take care of yourselves. And have a good day or night. All right.